0: If you'll turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, please. Gospel of John, chapter 1, and verse 6. And we'll read through verse 18. John 1 6. There came a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. He was in the world and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is high, uh, a higher rank than I, for I He existed before me, for of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him may god's word speak to our hearts let's pray before we look into the word father we thank you that your word is truth it's unalterable and it is the work of the spirit through the hearts of men and that same spirit dwells within each of us who know you and you want to teach us today so may the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time I was here, <laughs> up front, <laughs> uh, I just started verse six of John says, there came a man sent from God, whose name was John. And literally, the translation there is, there came into existence a man. Isn't that interesting? There came into existence a man. It's pointing to a certain man and his name he was sent from god and his name was john actually the name given to him was john and uh, it's a uh, uh, very interesting that this man came and was sent from god he was sent from god that word sent is an interesting word because it has the idea in the original of being sent with a specific mission. He was sent with a specific mission. And of course, we know that mission was to be the forerunner of Jesus Christ. But the word sent is a word that most of us know, uh, but we don't know that it's sent. (laughs) And the word there is the word that we have transliterated Into apostle so he was sent as an apostle for a certain purpose and I was just thinking about that how that relates to all of us we we are sent with a certain purpose that God has for us and each of us has a purpose and we must walk in that purpose as John did in the strength of the Holy Spirit, by the power that comes from the Holy Spirit. So, his name was John. Now, what do we know about John? Well, he, to use a modern slang term, he was a desert rat. He lived in the desert. He wore camels, a garb of camel skin. He wore a leather belt around his waist. And his diet was yummy. (laughs) Yeah, it it, it was locusts and wild honey. The wild honey part (laughs) sounds good, but uh, I'm not sure about the locust part. And as I was reading through, I asked myself the question, What do I know about this man? What do I know about this man? John. Except what I've already said. And. uh, uh, Why was he sent? And. What was his purpose? And what did he do? Where did he come from? What does it mean he was sent? And so. I'm going to make you turn all the way to the Gospel of Luke (laughs) and we're going to look at who John was and I think it's important because there are things that we can know and we can learn from who he is and there are applications for our lives as believers because everything is written in the scripture for our prophet and for our blessing. And so uh, we'll, we'll look at Luke chapter 1 beginning at verse 5. I won't read all the, the chapter 1. Uh, we, that, that would be a sermon in itself. But uh, I won't do that. But what were John's natural qualifications as, as a man? as a man what can we learn about him and we learn him in these verses first and I think most of us never think about this but he was from a priestly line John was in line to become a priest in the temple but he ended up in the desert and why did he end up in the desert? Because that was the purpose of God for his life. We we sometimes think we're going someplace, but God takes us someplace else. Because God has a special purpose for us, and he wants us to know. So, it's, it's, uh, it's important for us to realize that John was in a priestly line. In, in verse 5, it says... In the days of Herod the king of Judah, it's it's interesting, everything is often in the New Testament based around this man named Herod, who was one of the most evil and wicked men that ever lived. He had no problem with uh, uh, putting to death children or adults or anybody else. He was a man full of hate and bitterness, but he was... The center of the focus of those times. Does this sound familiar? (laughs) Kind of a picture of our times. It says, he was the king of Judah. It says, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. By the way, the division of Abijah is a group of priests that were uh, grouped together under a title before before the uh, uh, captivity to Babylon, there were twelve groups after there were only four left. the all rest were died or never came back in 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 the return uh, to Jerusalem, so there were only four left, and one of them was the order of Abijah uh, I don't know who chose the name for them but Abijah was the son of Rehoboam and Abijah became king and he was probably one of the most evil and wicked kings and sinful kings yet uh, they had the, the a group of priests named after him so he was of the division of uh, Abijah and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So we have these two people, Zacharias and Elizabeth, who are the parents of John, and you notice that both of them are of the Levitical, Lev, Levite line, and They are both in the priestly order. Now she wasn't a priest but she was the daughter of a priest and this this is very interesting because that now puts John under normal circumstances in the priestly order. So he was in the priestly line. He if all things had been normal would have become a priest. But God doesn't do things normally. He does them in his way and not ours. And that, that is something that I'm always thankful for. Now it's interesting. The name Zacharias. And I think this fits into what we're going to be looking at. What it means. Jehovah has remembered. Jehovah has remembered. And we will see how this all fits in and uh, how it fits with them. And then the, word, the name Elizabeth means God is my oath or I am sold out to God. I'm sold out to God. And uh, I, I, I think those two names should be a challenge and an encouragement to us that no matter how things how rough things are, how bad they may look, God remembers. God, he's there and he knows and he will do whatever we need to encourage us and strengthen our hearts. And we need to be like Elizabeth's name indicates, we need to be fully sold out to God. We need to be people who are fully sold out to God. And so... It's interesting, John comes into a line of people that are priests, and he is in the priestly line, and not only his father, but his mother also. So that's the first thing we learn about John. He was of the priestly line. Now, John didn't become a priest. In other words... He didn't follow the natural order, he followed a divine order. You see, he was following the will of God. And the second thing we find, and it's in the sixth verse here, it says, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both advanced in years. So... Excuse me, I jumped too far there. They, they were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blameless in the commandments and requirements of the Lord. They were faithful, godly parents. And the, the thing that struck me as I read that is, that this was God's assessment of them in the eyes of the Lord. And they did everything according to the word of God and followed the word of God and lived by the word of God. And we will find that even later as we look on, that they were that kind of people. They They were faithful, godly parents. And I think for all parents, that's a real challenge to be faithful, godly parents. And then for those of us who aren't parents, it's, it's a real challenge to be faithful, godly people. Living and walking in the truth and obeying the word of God. The third thing is they failed in childbirth. They failed in childbirth. It says in verse 7. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. And there were, they were both advanced in years. Notice there was two problems they were dealing with. She was barren. And they were too old to have children. And so they didn't have any children and I asked myself the question why was she barren why was she barren and my answer and I think the scripture confirms this is because God made it so God made it so he had a purpose that was beyond just bearing children for them which was would become a high honor. And God had her barren until the coming of her first son, John. And uh, it's again, very, we can be very much aware of the fact that God does things in a way to perform his purposes and to bring to pass what he has ordained to come to pass and so that's why she was barren and uh, uh, there were no children if you look if you look at uh, uh, him it it says that uh, he he was someone special sent by God to do A special God so she failed in childbirth so that John could come and fulfill the role that was promised in the Old Testament if you look at uh, uh, the book of Malachi in verses uh, chapter 4 verses 5 and 6 it says for behold I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord, he will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. So He, the coming of John and the whole thing was part of God's prophetic purpose. He fulfilled the prophetic purpose in John. So she failed in childbirth for the purposes of God to be fulfilled. And I think we have to remember that anything negative that happens in our life that we don't like, they're always there to fulfill the purposes of God they're always there for the ultimate goal to make us into Christ's likeness to develop us as the people of God. So <clears throat> we saw he came from a priestly line he had faithful godly parents they failed in childbirth and then we deal with the father Zacharias the fulfilling of his responsibility in uh, verses 8 and 9 it says now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God that is he was fulfilling his responsibilities in the appointed order of his division According to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So he was fulfilling his responsibility and in fulfilling his responsibility, he was being again a faithful servant of God. He was following the purposes of God and uh, uh, is very interesting for us to see that he was there, how chosen by lot. Wouldn't we say that it was kind of a chance thing? No, not in the purposes of God. He was chosen And the lot fell upon him because that's where God wanted it to fall. And he was in that day, in that service, because that's where God wanted him to be. And why did God want him to be there? Because God had something to tell him. And that's true of all our lives. If we're where God wants us to be and doing what God wants us to do then we will hear the voice of God from His Word and by the Spirit leading us where He wants to go and we will know what He wants us to do and what He wants us to become. So he was there and he was serving God. And then The fifth thing I want to point out here is what I call the frightful experience. And let me just put a bracket there. A frightful experience that was a joyful experience. A frightful experience that was a joyful experience. What made it frightful? The angelic being. Now how would you feel if You were doing what you're supposed to be doing, ladies, you know, doing your baking and your cooking, and an angel all of a sudden appeared, how would you feel? Frightened? (laughs) Yeah. Or if, gentlemen, you were doing your work and doing your job, and all of a sudden an angel came along, how would you feel? You'd feel frightened. How many have had an angel come up to you? I don't see any hands. <laughs> you know, uh, we, we, we haven't had angels come to us. And so when an angel did come in the scripture, it's always a frightful experience. But every appearance of an angel always turns to joy because they bring either a message of joy or a message of judgment that will lead to joy. And, for example, we'll see a little bit of her later, but what was Mary's response when the angel came to her? She said, oh, it's good I see an angel. she, She said she was afraid. She was afraid. And the angel said, don't be afraid, Mary. I've got good news for you. I've got good news for you. And uh, the angel says that he came to Zacharias to bring him good news. Look at verse 19. It says, the angel answered and said unto him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. To bring you this good news. Now, sometimes, sometimes angels didn't bring good news. You remember Abraham and Sodom and Gomorrah? That wasn't very good news. But it was good news in a way, wasn't it? God was dealing with sin. And he always deals with sin in his wrath. And he will deal with anybody who will not come to him through Jesus Christ in his wrath. And so uh, the good news is you can always turn to God. You can always know him and love him because he is the Savior. So when the angelic being came, he brought good news. And then the second thing we see here is there is answered prayer. Look at verse 13. And the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition, he was praying, you see, has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will give him the name John. What was Zacharias's response? Whoa, this is great. I'm all excited. He, no. He said, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. This can't be. And when God works, we often shake our heads and say, I don't believe it. Look what God did. Look what God did. And we have to trust God's Word and what God wants to do and know He will do what He wants to do whether it's blessing or judgment because God's Word is always true but God was answering their prayer and I want you to notice another thing here that's vitally important when He answered their prayer He didn't answer it in their time and in their way. When they were praying, they wanted a child who they could bring up. And I'm sure Zacharias wanted a son who would follow in his line and become a priest. But that wasn't God's purpose, you see. But God worked in his time and in his way. And he gave him a son for his purpose. And because they were godly people and they could trust him and train him to be what he should be. Now, let me just put in brackets here that his their training was totally under the control of the Holy Spirit. And we'll see that in a moment. And that's, that's vital and important. And uh, uh, so we said uh, he came and he was performing his uh, work in answer to his responsibility. But God answered his prayer and he prayed and God answered. Have you ever found I, I I don't know about you, but I found that a lot of times I pray and God answers me, but not the way I want it. And not when I want it. But he does it according to his own power and his own will. And God answers prayer according to his own will. So God answered, and he says, your petition has been heard. And then the third thing I want you to notice here in this discussion with the angel, he was given an appointed title. Actually, in the original it says in John, the name to him was John. That is, it was a name to him, given to him. And the name John is a very interesting name. It says, it it can either be translated Jehovah given or Jehovah has been gracious. And uh, I, I I think both of those definitions of the name John fit the context so well. He was given by God. And he was given, and it was a gracious act of God that he was given. And we'll see why this is in a moment. But he had an appointed title. That was the name given to him. And I think uh, it's uh, uh, very important for us to understand that God has special people called out in special times and designated in a special manner. And God does that and he does it for us and with us and through us and in us so that we can be the special people of God. God has designated a title for you and I. What is that title? Sons of God. Sons of God. We have we have been designated a beautiful title. We are children of God. We belong to God. And so we have a designated title. As I was studying this, I was thinking of that uh, verse in the book of Revelation. Uh, I'm not a specialist on the book of Revelation, but that's okay. Uh, he... He says, and a name was given to them that nobody knew but themselves. And God has a special name. And it says it was written on a white stone. And uh, God has given us the special name, the special name to be sons of God. What a glorious thing to be a child of the living God. And what a blessing. So uh, he he had an appointed title, John. And uh, uh, God was gracious not only to his parents, but to many who believed. And so his name was John because God is a gracious God. By the way, if you're ever reading through the Old Testament where it talks about the loving kindness of God, that's an Old Testament phrase that is parallel to what we use in the New Testament as the graciousness of God. God's loving kindness and graciousness are the same act being carried out toward us. And so, he had an appointed title. Uh, And uh, it's interesting that his parents were very careful. And that's because, as I said, they were godly people. They obeyed God and gave him the name John. What What was the reaction of the people? If you look down at verse 39 of Luke chapter 1, it says, It happened that on the eighth day when they came to circumcise the child, they were going to call him, that is the people were going to call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, No. You can't do that. Why did she say no? Because she was a godly lady and she obeyed the word of God. It says she obeyed all the commandments of God. And so here she is again obeying the commandments of God. And she says, no, indeed, but he shall be called John. And everybody says, hooray, okay, we'll change his name. No, they said to her, there is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to the father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows. His name is John. If you didn't get it from her, you got it from me. His name is John. Why were they so faithful in calling him John and not Zacharias? Because God said so. Because God said so. And we are are obligated to do whatever God says and whatever God reveals to us in his word through the Holy Spirit. And so uh, uh, there, there was the... Uh, appointed title and then the fourth thing here I want to point out was the appreciation for his birth. It says in Luke 1.14, you will have joy and gladness and many will rejoice at his birth. Notice, notice, it wasn't only the parents that had gladness, they had gladness. Whoa, we got a son, this is great. But, everybody else, why? Because there was a special purpose in him and in his birth. And so everybody was happy at his birth. I I shouldn't say that, excuse me. Many were happy at his birth, that's what it says. Not everybody, not everybody, many were happy at his birth. They were happy that he was born and that what were the results of his uh, birth. And then the fifth thing I want to point out here is what I call the activities of John. The activities of John as outlined by the angel in Luke. And if you look at John's ministry, you will find out that the exact things that the angel said were also carried out by John. How and why? was the work of the Spirit. You see, and we'll see that in a moment. First of all, in verse 15, we we see His standing. For He will be great in the sight of the Lord. That word great is the word that we get the transliterated word English. It's mega. It's mega. Heat. It's going to be <laughs> bigger than you can think. Bigger than you can think. Whatever God does is that. You see, it's bigger than we can think. So it says, <clears throat> His standing was bigger than we can even imagine in the sight of the Lord. God, God, God saw him in a very special way for a very special activity and he was great in God's eyes. And just think about it. You are exactly the same. And you are very special in God's eyes. And how can I say that? Because God has chosen you and ordained you And made you his child. And so you are special in the eyes of the Lord. You are mega in the eyes of the Lord. That's why you are a son of God today. Because of God's seeing you. And that's your standing as well as John's standing was. His standing was great in the eyes of the Lord. And I don't know about you, but to me, that is one of the most encouraging and wonderful things. I don't care what people think about me. Well, I do a little bit. Uh, But uh, what, what I really, really am concerned about is what God thinks about me how I am in His eyes, how He sees me, how I am working and living out by His grace and through the Spirit and the Word, those things that God wants me to be. And you see, that's what makes all of us great in the eyes of the Lord. We are all great and we have that standing because God has called us into that standing. Not because we chose it, but because God has called us and he will take us through our lives until we see him in glory. I like what Paul says in Thessalonians. Faithful is he who called you Who will let you just muddle through and make it. No. He says, who will also do it. God's going to do it. God called you. He's going to do it. He's going to carry you through. And by the way, if you mess up and you go in the wrong direction, you have one thing that you can always count on. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and correcteth everyone who is a child of his. He's not going to let you keep going. If you're truly born of the Spirit, if you have been truly called, if you are truly his child, he will carry you through right to the end. And if that means you need a good spanking, he'll give it to you. And I, I know that's true. And I think it's important for us to realize that our standing is a calling and gift of the Lord. He called us to Himself. He chose us. He made us His family. And that verse that was read earlier, He gave us the right to be called the sons of God. That word right actually In the original is he gave us authority. He gave us authority to call ourselves sons of God. Why? Because he did it. Because he did it. Because of his gracious work. And so that's a wonderful thing. That's our standing. That was John's standing. He was great in the sight of the Lord. And then the second thing I want to point out here about John in verse 15 is what I call his seclusion. His seclusion. And he will drink no wine or liquor. And that phrase means that he was to be separated from everything that everybody did because he was to be a Nazirite. And a Nazirite was a person who was basically secluded or supposed to be secluded from all the things of the world, separated from the things of the world. There were two kinds of Nazarites in the scripture. There were Nazarites who were Nazarites by choice. If you look in, in, in Leviticus, it talks about them. They chose to be a Nazarite. They gave themselves to God for a certain point of time. And then when that time was finished, what did they do? Well, they cleansed themselves. They got a, uh, all their hair cut off. And uh, they went back into normal society. And then there was another group of Nazarites, like John. And the other one was Samson who were Nazarites from their birth to their death. And they were Nazarites not by their choice, but by God's choice. You see the distinction there? They were set apart and secluded by God's choice and not their choice. And let me just say, that there are a lot of churches with a lot of people who are trying to become what they think God wants them to do, and they're setting themselves aside and doing the setting aside themselves, like in the Old Testament. But those of us who have been born of the Spirit are to be set aside because God set us aside for himself. We didn't choose to be set aside. He chose to set us aside. You see the distinction in the two kinds of Nazarites? We are to be secluded from the world and its operations and its thinking and its way of operating, whatever else. And we are to become more and more Christ-like by the grace of God and the word of God. And we are... We are to be secluded from the world. Now, those, you have two examples of those who were secluded from their birth until their death. The first one was Samson. He was a Nazarite from his birth to his death. And we have John, who was a Nazarite, from his birth to his death. What's the distinction in the two of them? Because they were both Nazarites. They both had a very special ministry they had to do. Samson was given great power to help destroy the Philistines. John was given a message and a proclamation that he would carry. But what was the distinction in the two men? It's how they lived, isn't it? Samson lived always trying to satisfy his flesh and his lusts. John lived his whole life by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, seeking to satisfy God. And We have a challenge in that picture of the fact that we can either walk in the Spirit or walk in the flesh. And we're warned about that in the Scripture. And Paul says to us in Galatians that we should walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And he warns us, he says... The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these two are enemies, one of the other. They're always fighting each other. And uh, I, I think that we need to learn the lesson and from the grace of God that we can walk in the spirit and have victory over the flesh. We can be the kind of people God wants us to be by the Spirit and the Word. And so we are called to be like John the Baptist. So he, we need to seclude ourselves from the world. And then the third thing, and I've been referring to this all the time, but we see the filling of the Spirit the filling of the spirit and he will be filled with the holy spirit while he is yet in his mother's womb and how did that happen you remember the angel gabriel came to mary and told her that uh, she was going to have a child And she said i don't know man i i well, he, she, he said, the Holy Spirit's going to do this. The Holy Spirit's going to do this. And what did Mary do? Because the angel told her that her relative Elizabeth was six months with child. She, It says she ran and went right to Elizabeth. And what happened? Notice it says, uh, in Luke 39, 139, it says, Now at that time, when the angel announced, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to the city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. What was that? That was an act and the miracle of God to fulfill the word that he had promised to Zacharias that that child would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his birth. I'm sure one of the things Zacharias had in his mind was How are you going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his birth? But God had it all planned, didn't he? Every purpose and plan of God comes to fruition. But there's a real application for us in our own lives as Christians. When you are born again, you receive the Spirit. And you are by the grace of God and through the power of the Word of God to live your life by the Spirit. When you are born of the Spirit, you live by the Spirit. That is the way God has attended it. Isn't that wonderful? God God births us by the Spirit and God... Continues to nourish and help us to grow by the Spirit. And I think that's something that's uh, a great thing. He he had the filling of the Spirit. And we have the blessing of the Spirit. And so we're encouraged to walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And I don't know about you. uh, You're probably a little stronger than I am. But I I have a tendency to want to be a little fleshly. You know, uh, I want to do my own thing. But I have been given the spirit so I can have victory over my fleshliness. And I can walk. By the way, the term walk means how you live day by day, how you act day by day. I can do that in the Spirit. If I submit myself to the Spirit, if I study the Word of God and let the Spirit work in my life. And I think this is vital and important for us. And then the last point I'll run through here quickly. I want to look at John's activities. First of all, In verse 16, you'll see he had a prophetic ministry. He had a prophetic ministry. He, in my understanding, was the last of the Old Testament great prophets. He was the great prophet of the Old Testament. It says, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. Isn't that what the ministry of the prophets was? To warn the people about their sin and get them to come back to God and get straightened out with God. How effective were they? Yeah, not too much. Because people don't like to hear what God has to say. And so he had a prophetic ministry and he had a proclamation ministry. And his proclamation ministry, it, it says here, he will, it is he who will go as a forerunner before Christ. And uh, his proclamation ministry was given to us. Ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the world. We are to proclaim. Jesus Christ and let me just say quickly here one of the, one of the reasons of the downfall of the church today and it's moving away is because they have ceased the proclamation of the person of Christ. He is central to our lives personally and to the church corporately and then the second or the third thing I should say is, he had a powerful ministry. It says in verse 17, that in the spirit and power of Elijah. And uh, you and I, you and I have a powerful ministry to both the elect and the non-elect. Because our job is to warn the non-elect and we can do it in not the power of Elijah but the power of the Holy Spirit and it's our job to encourage the people of God and proclaim Christ to the believers and also to the non-believers and we are proclaimers even as John and we can have a powerful ministry as the Spirit chooses and works. And then he had a productive ministry also. In verse 17 it says again, to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of righteousness. And whenever, whenever we share the gospel and the Spirit of God moves in the hearts of men, we see, we see this productive ministry. People are transformed and they are turned from sin to righteousness. They are made new people and God does it not because of us, but because of the Holy Spirit who works through us as we communicate and He does the work of transformation in the lives of the people. Uh, I was just reading an old hymn uh, the other day and it, it has a line in it, and somebody you may save. I, I, I've never saved anybody. I only know one who can save. I don't know one who can save and that's the Lord Jesus Christ and he did it on the cross. And he has his chosen people that he saves, and finally, we had the last thing, and I'll close with this: there is a he had a preparative ministry. He was preparing people, he says, so as to make ready a people for the Lord. The little tra- that 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 verse is really. A hard verse to translate literally, because some of the words there, the the word that is translated uh, prepared in the original is to swim. so here's here's what I have as a little translation to have prepared a number of people joined together with common bonds, a pool of the Lord. The word swim is a pool. That's something you swim in, you see. And it's a pool of the Lord. It's a pool of, and all of us, all of us who have come to know Christ by the work of the spirit and the word are a pool of people with a common bond and a common togetherness, isn't that wonderful? There's there's just one bond that binds us. Uh, uh, it's uh, so so beautiful, you know. We ha- used to sing the old hymn. I don't know if it exists anymore. "Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love," and that tie that binds us together is the love and finished work of Christ. And what a wonderful thing. So, the question is today, as believers, how are we walking? How are we walking? Are we walking in the Spirit or walking in the flesh? And the question to you, if you don't know Christ today, is how are you walking? How are you walking? Are you walking on a road to death and destruction? And there's hope because there is an infinite love that died for you on the cross. Let's pray. Father, thank you. (coughs) For this wonderful truth that we see in the life of John, help us to understand that when you made this statement, there came into existence a man, that we can look at that and say, that's us. You brought us into existence, man, woman, whoever we are for a special purpose, first to bring us to Yourself and then to make us witnesses to You. Thank You for what You've done and what You're doing and what You're going to do in our lives and in our body. Glorify Your name in us as You did in the Apostle John, I mean John the Baptist, and uh, may we Rejoice in the fullness of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.